You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. What's going on, Ethan? Not much. Not much, but it's nice. That is nice when you don't have much going on. Yeah. That is very nice. Oh, you're speaking from someone who has much going on, I see. Well, no, that sounds really pretentious. I mean, it's just nice to have space and things in the schedule, the calendar. Yeah. When you don't feel absolutely weighed down with all the concerns and cares of life. For a fleeting three days, I'm sure. For a fleeting three days. No, we got we got exciting things down the road. I'm actually pretty I'm pretty into it. We do have quite a number of things happening yeah. down the road from whenever this episode <laughs> drops. It'll still be true. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's true. Like at from, this rate. from now to the end of the year, I think there's some cool things. There are. So there are some cool things. Keep yeah. your keep your eyes peeled. Keep your eyes what a strange expression. Freaking disgusting. <laughs> What is the surgery called? <laughs> what is that surgery called? The the um the eye stuff? You know what I mean? I have no they, like, idea. They like slice LASIK? your eyeball. Yeah. There's a thing where your eyeball gets sliced for sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. And um more power to them, I guess. I'm just thinking who I understand the expression obviously, but keep your eyes peeled. Because your eyelids. Peeled? Your eyelids. Yeah. Like picture but, a banana. And but your even that eye is, yeah. is the fruit. I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and your lids I, are the peels. Peel them open. Just, and if you're pretentious, you like squ- squeeze from the other end and make the peel happen quicker. No. What a dumb thing. Just, Not no offense if you do that. It's just like we've been doing it the other way for so long that it's now a chore to reorient my banana peel strategy. I don't even do it. Here's the thing: I don't even peel a banana like that at all because I don't eat one handheld like like portable food. I realize that's its great advantage. <laughs> I don't eat it like that. Um, I put it in smoothies. So oh, yes. I just like whack one end <laughs> off. But here's the thing. You keep the knife from cutting through the other side of the peel. And then you just lift the banana up and it, it like it does an entire strip. It peels a whole strip just because you didn't slice through all the way. And then the other three sides whoosh, easily come off all at once. So peeling, get out of here. <laughs> Use a knife. Keep your eyes knived. <laughs> Forget peeling. Yeah, I kind of forgot when we started that. <laughs> what a strange expression. Oh. Anywho, well, we're talking about something not like that not at all, really. Not even a little bit Not related. even <laughs> remotely related to peeling or to really just a gross word. Peeling? I feel like really? I'm realizing that now. That's interesting. Because you use it in all kinds of... Okay, peeling fruit, no, but like right. after you're sunburnt... And your skin Ooh, is that's peeling. Pretty awful, yeah. And you just look at someone. You don't even. You don't even supply. You just have the verb. Oh, you're peeling. Ooh, that's, it. that's a that's a bad expression. Ooh, that's a gross one. Gross, disgusting. Mm-hmm. What if you had like a a pet snake? Also gross. Oh, really? I think as far as like it's shedding its skin, it's peeling. I think it's quite interesting. Uh, some lizards as well. Maybe all lizards. I don't know. Probably not all lizards. I, I've never me. seen an iguana shed its skin, but I've never owned an iguana, so that would <laughs> there's some overlap there. That would preclude you from doing that. But I've, you know, the Instagram feed, this explore page, they're like, here's this thing you definitely didn't ask for, and it's a lizard shedding its skin. <laughs> and the whole time, like obviously, I know he's going to succeed, but I'm concerned for him. <laughs> The whole time I'm like, that looks like a huge job. Um, and they do it. And I'm like, wow, you look great. What a glow up. Nature. I, I comment <laughs> what that. What a I'm glow like, up. Nice one, guy. What a great job, Bella. And Iguana will never understand what Instagram is. <laughs> uh, well, <sighs> on to other topics. Yeah. Past this gross. For the best. Use of expressions and figurative and literal language, I suppose. So I'm rereading. The book Gentle and Lovely mm. by Dane Ortland. Yeah. With a few guys in the church. Classic book. 
I'm willing to say that. Yes, I realize it came out last year, and I'm calling it a classic. Oh, I'm hey, doing it. I have an entire playlist of movies called Modern, Modern Classics, Classics, and it's everything from 2000 on. Yeah, and I feel like we've actually on the podcast talked about how Modern Classic is sort of an oxymoron. Yeah, that's true. But you, know. <laughs> you know what? Sometimes the most beautiful things are. That's right. And I'm willing to call this book a classic, even though it's nary a year old. Yeah. So, point being, rereading this book, Gentle and Lily by Dane Ortland. If you haven't picked it up, you haven't read it, you ought to do it. I actually recently preached the sermon on the theme verses from that book. Yeah. It's Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, which says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hmm. What a verse. What a truly, verse. Truly. Even, like... Every part of that, really, you could probably spend a series on. You could, truly, Dang. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite loaded. It is. So, anywho, as of this past April, that book, again, just about a year old, yeah. just a little over a year old, mm-hmm. has sold 250,000 print copies. So, that doesn't Jeez. count ebook, audiobook. And in case you didn't know, that is a, as our friend EJ, tech director at Lost Creek, would say, a metric button <laughs> of print sales. Uh, books just don't sell like that anymore. Really? Unless you're talking about like something like Harry Potter yeah. or a book series like that. But Oh, like like famed franchise yeah. sort of things. But these like kind of um, standalone, niche, yeah. Yeah, they don't sell like this. In fact, there was a period very shortly after it came out when it was sold out. Really? You couldn't buy it. And it's also it's also not like stepping into the, like the super hippy to be like self-help no. uh, like prosperity gospel sort no. of things and like they sell for a very different reason yeah exactly so people all that is to say are obviously starving for the gentle and lowly heart of christ because that's obviously you know the book's title it's Indeed. focused on that but what i'm trying to get to in this little discussion in this episode is that reading through that book i was reminded again of how the bible is often not as balanced quote-unquote, as we might think. And Ortland, he actually makes that observation, too, in the book. Uh, Because when you start talking about the gentle and lowly heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers, for example, you'll probably get some very well-meaning folks to say something like, yeah, that's true, he is, but we can't overlook his holiness and glory, so, you know, let's... You know, let's be careful here or something like that. Really? You know? That's, yeah. It's a little bit surprising to me. I think, like, what about the gentle and lowly description makes people, like, want to pivot in the other direction? Like, is it just not, like, powerful or mighty enough to, to think about Christ in a way like that? Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I want the, you know, Macho Man Randy Savage version. <laughs> Which, cool, fine. You know, there's like, we are all multifaceted and so is Christ. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, well, and I think um, if I were to try to put my finger on that, it would be, people would say something like that out of the desire to not narrow Christ too much. So to say like, oh, they don't want you to say Christ is only gentle and lowly because he's not. But But do you inadvertently then try to say he's only glorious and powerful and only? Right, like like, you end up playing this weird game. An overreaction to counteract. Yes. Okay, interesting. mm -hmm. So I get why someone would say something like that if you're thinking about it in those terms because we do, we want, We want balance in everything, I think, right? So naturally, we want a balanced portrait of Christ. But the thing about Scripture is that, and it's always difficult when you're talking about, like, aspects of God, because that's not really technically, (laughs) it's not accurate in the sense that it's like, oh, he has, he has more wrath than he does love. Like, it's not like God doesn't work in those terms. I mean, like, he is, he has the, he's just the fullness of everything, like all (laughs) being, you know what I mean? But all that is to say is that in scripture, some aspects, quote unquote, of God do get more attention than others. Oh, sure. And so the point, the point I'm trying to draw us to here, and the reason I brought all this up 
is that if we really want to be biblical, then we need to be biblically proportionate. We need to give the same attention to, say, who Christ is and how he describes himself and how the Bible describes him as the Bible does. Yeah. Like we, do, we can't be importing our own, quote-unquote, balanced picture of Christ <laughs> into Scripture. Right. Um, because then we're going to actually get... That's actually, just, un- that's actually just slanted. Yeah, exactly. You're actually going to get an unbiblical portrait of Christ. So when he, for instance, says about his own heart, it's gentle and lowly, we need to let him be the one who sets the term on his heart, not us. And the same is true for everything that God says about himself in all of Scripture. And this does go for all of Scripture. So to use a phrase I heard from someone else, um, I can't place who it was that said this right now, but they said, we ought to shout about what the Bible shouts about and whisper what the Bible whispers about. Oh, I think it's very wow. helpful. I think it's very weird. <laughs> I like it, though. Like, what what is whispered about? I mean, I granted, like, there's not a ton of, like, demon content or, um, mm-hmm. like, significance of the body after death. Thinking of Jude, of course. Yeah. Which just really sparks my imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's there, but it's, like, not the fulcrum of theology. Yeah. Is that what the whispered thing yeah, is? Yeah, I would say that. So... The things we get preoccupied with? Yeah. For example, to kind of piggyback off of things related to both examples you just mm-hmm. mentioned, the Bible does seem to mention, like, a hierarchy of angelic beings. Yes. You have, like, rulers, authorities, mm-hmm. dominions, powers, princes, et cetera, et cetera. But it doesn't tell you anything about yeah. what that actually means. Right. Uh, how the hierarchy works what that looks like. And so even within the biblical text itself, you have uh, especially guys like Paul and Peter and Jude trying to to tell their readers, hey, you need to calm down about the angels. Like, you're giving too much. Okay, that's an Um, interesting point. I think it's in Colossians where Paul says, stop listening to these people who insist on the worship of angels and get preoccupied in their discussions about these things. So it's not to say that we don't, I mean, the Bible does talk about angels. They show up in scripture, you have to talk about them. It's not to say it's unimportant at all. Right. Hebrews says they're ministering spirits sent to serve the sake of the saved. And, you know, you got folks like Gabriel showing up in the nativity events. So you got to mention it. But it's, quote unquote, whispered about more than yeah. it's shouted about. Yeah. As opposed to, say, like, faith, <laughs> you know, which is going to show up a lot. Yeah. So, um, for example, okay, so here's just a sampling of how we can talk about being proportionate biblically. Because when we're talking about Christianity, we ought to give more emphasis to the things that the Bible gives more emphasis to. So, for example, I ran a search in Logos Bible software to see how many times Jesus speaks about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Which is, by the way, really nerdy and cool that you can—I could put in a search— like the, the search capacity in that software says, I can identify every time Jesus, which isn't just saying, Ooh, oh, yeah. every time his name shows up. It's like anytime a pronoun refers to him, oh. anytime he speaks about the kingdom and I can get a list in a second. It's pretty just, depthy. Technology is amazing. Did I say depthy? I think I yeah, did. Yeah, make up a word. So I got 107 mentions in the four gospels. He mentions the kingdom 107 times. That's a bit. Um, that's a quite a bit. Now, of those 107 mentions, here was what was interesting to look at. Only five of those are in John. There are 17 in Mark. 36 are in Luke, okay? But a whopping 49 are in Matthew alone. Why? Why? So, apparently, you would need to interpret the data appropriately. But knowing that just on its surface, Matthew is very concerned about the kingdom. Yeah, You can just tell, like, that's a big theme in his gospel. He really wants to highlight and emphasize the sayings of Christ related to the kingdom. Which, now I'm completely pulling this out of the air at this exact moment, but you think Matthew is also thematically trying to show how Jesus is kind of the fulfillment of Israel. Mm. Like, Jesus is what Israel was meant to be. 
in a person, basically. So when you think about Israel, you're thinking they're a kingdom. So you link that up with Jesus is very concerned about talking about the kingdom. Thematically, that links up with what Jesus is teaching about so often in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is trying to show here's how Jesus is the fulfillment of the kingdom of Israel. He's going to highlight then all the times Jesus talks about how the kingdom of heaven is among you, probably linking those two to say that what Israel was meant to be was this sort of um, outpost, for lack of a better term, of the kingdom of heaven to the yeah, nations. Yeah. So that's really interesting. So if, for example, you're teaching through Matthew, you probably ought to give a fair amount of your attention to the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that ought to proportionally show up right. in your teaching or in your preaching. I didn't expect such a gulf between five mentions and 49. Yeah. Pretty. That's remarkable. Enormous. Yeah. So um, take another example, just for fun. In the whole Pauline corpus of letters, faith or faithfulness is a pretty important concept, right? Paul Mm -hmm. is pretty, he's pretty involved with the faith thing. He he talks about that a lot. One might say focused. So, yes. So ran another search and counted 161 mentions of faith or faithfulness in the ESV in all of Paul's letters, okay? Mm-hmm. 25% of his total usage of that term comes in Romans alone. Wow. 25%. The next closest is 1 Timothy with 13%. That's okay? lower. That's the next closest. That's significantly lower. Yeah, so that's pretty remarkable. But if you're counting how many times the term gets used per 1,000 words in the letters, then by far and away, 1 Timothy is the leading epistle, actually. You have the word come up nine times per 1,000 words, ah. followed closely by Galatians with 7.4 uses per 1,000 words. So what we take away from that is 1 Timothy has a lot to say about faith and faithfulness in a compact space. Yeah. So like if you want the most loaded material on faith in the shortest amount of high letter. Yeah, high density, <laughs> yes. Go to 1 Timothy. But if you want more overall and you uh, want to get the bigger picture of what Paul said about that, go to Romans, exactly. So what am I getting at with all this? Mm. <laughs> this isn't just a... Math. Yes, I was going to say, this is Zach, you know, he'd be like, oh, let's talk about that. Yeah, I'm not trying to just be a statistical nerd. What I'm it's getting welcome at, here. You can do that. Yeah, we can do that. It's, it's a podcast, you know, it's not a sermon. No, what I'm getting at is that we really do need to let the Bible tell us what's major and minor in regard to God, and the Bible does mm, do yeah, that. Yeah. It's not balanced, <laughs> for lack of a better term, as far as what it gives focus or emphasis to. So, when you're reading the Bible, it's really important to pay attention to the words that are used in the text. I mean, note the phrases that appear multiple times and ask what concepts get repeated or are particularly noteworthy and make note of those and let those primarily inform your thinking about God and life and faith. Yeah. I had actually heard something very recently and it was about Romans, ironically enough. Nice. The suggestion essentially to like read and reread sections at a time and take Mm -hmm. note of what terms keep showing up or like what words begin new sections like four if something begins yeah. with four what is that saying what's it referring to then you know yeah. you don't start like a fresh separate thought with four right you're drawing a connection to something so right. that is interesting yeah and i find that strategy that you mentioned there very helpful in regard to this because if all you're doing is just kind of reading through it quickly and mm. scanning it right. more or less you're yeah. probably not going to pick those things up but for example so this is just for fun i haven't made anything of it yet i'm still thinking about it but i just finished first timothy mm-hmm. recently as part of my devotion readings. And I had never noticed before that within, I think it's within, I can't remember the exact space, but basically very, very, very close together. There are four mentions, three or four. See, now I'm blanking on all this stuff. This is what happens when you're trying to pull this stuff out straight from memory. But three or four mentions very close to each other of, I am not ashamed, do not be ashamed, be not ashamed of like the gospel for example. Mm-hmm. That shows up. I'd never really is paid this, attention to that before. Is this when he is encouraging them? So yeah, he is He is encouraging Timothy to not be ashamed of his chains. 
and not to be ashamed of the gospel and not to be ashamed of suffering yeah. for Christ. Like, am I, I'm stretching the memory because my, my recall is abysmal. <laughs> it's also like, what, which book does it Because there's a lot. He's got a lot under his belt. He does. But specifically like in a time where things are not super hot. Mm-hmm. Is that? Yeah. Wh- okay. I yeah. thought, okay, that's ringing a bell now. Yeah. I was like, yeah. hey, buddy. And so it's interesting that you like want to bring that out. And that, and if he's repeating that phrase, that's mm. something that's okay. You probably ought to make note of that. Yeah. And you might not notice that unless your point being looking, reading for slowly recurring. and looking, okay, what's getting repeated here? Yeah. So this brings me back full circle <laughs> to Dane Ortland and speaking about Christ's heart as gentle and lowly. So should we primarily think of Christ as gentle and lowly and meek and mild, you know? Um, mm. Well, if we let Christ speak for himself, yes, because when the Bible speaks about the heart, and this is the other important thing here to pay attention to, is Christ only speaks about his heart, his own heart, one time. Charles Spurgeon first observed that. If any of you were listening to the sermon, you know, Charles Spurgeon, you read the book, Dane Ortland says, Charles Spurgeon pointed this out. So Charles Spurgeon, I think, was the first to observe. He only speaks about his own heart one time, which if you're thinking about that, it's not a lot one time. And he speaks about the kingdom of God in Matthew 49 times, at least, you know? So you might be tempted to say, okay, well, we ought not give that a lot of weight. But the thing is, is when the Bible ties us all together, when the Bible is speaking about the heart, it's never just referring to, oh, here's like, we kind of have a modern idea, I think, of the heart. It's like, oh, it's just your emotions, you know? Yeah, like, oh, exactly. he's, got, he's got some heart in it, you know what I mean? Yeah. When the Bible is speaking about your heart, it's really speaking about the core of who you are. Yeah, not your temperament. Right. Yeah. Nor just your physical blood pumping organ, you know? <laughs> um, so when Jesus takes the opportunity to say, my heart, that is, if you're thinking about the whole thrust of biblical theology, that should stop you and you should pay attention because when he says, here's who I am, here's what my heart is like, he's saying, this is who I am at my deepest. And that's basically the whole book that Dane Ortland wrote is just that, just looking at what does that mean. This is interesting in a number of ways. First of all, the observation that the one time that's the route he goes. Yeah. I love that, first of all, because mm-hmm. we're also talking about my favorite title being the man of all sorrows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, how appropriate that. Yeah. I love that. But also, like, I think about like Paul and how much... Like there's, in a modern description, you would say he's very self-deprecating. Oh, he is, yeah. And he's like kind of unashamed about that. Yeah. And that's, I think, a unique thing we are seeing throughout the words of significant figures. Yes. That's a recurring theme. Mm-hmm. Even though everyone else would like, look, you know, look at how amazing this character is. Look, I say character, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I'm derailed by that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> like, you know, Paul, for instance, not the most well-spoken person. Yeah. You know, like, what? Mm-hmm. What, this this titan? Yes. You know, not much to, what? Yeah. I just think that's kind of remarkable. It is. Like, you, we, we get these huge imaginations about, you know, what it would be like for them to walk in the room. But um, if we actually look at the way they talk about themselves, yeah. I think it's pretty remarkable. It is. And um, there was some sort of Pythy saying about saints. I can't remember what it was, but something about, I can't even remember now, but sort of the effect of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector where the Pharisee's like, God, I thank you that I'm not like <laughs> other people, you know, extortionists and this tax collector. And the tax collector, meanwhile, was saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Also interesting on Paul. I think this will be a nice little thing to close this out on, but you mentioned how he speaks about himself. Yeah. Because I think there is a place where, depending on what and how you approach, quote unquote, self-deprecation, it can actually draw more attention to yourself. Oh, than, for sure. But of course, Paul 
Paul doesn't do that. Right. But it's really interesting if you track his earliest letters, which are probably Galatians or First Thessalonians. I'm going to debate about where they fall. But you track that all the way to the end, Second Timothy. He speaks about himself in increasingly worse terms. Really? So he starts Galatians, and I'm, I'm blanking on the exact terms he used, but like you get Galatians and he's like, yeah, I came to you in much weakness and trembling, you know, or you would have pulled out your own eyes for me. Some people think he had an eye problem. So you have that going to 1 Corinthians, for example, where you're kind of getting a little later and he's like, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor of the church, you know, but God redeemed me by grace. And you get to the end of his life. He's writing his last letter and he goes all the way to say, I'm the chief of sinners. You know like what? he makes that wow. progression. Like as he's getting like, you would think, oh, you're getting more sanctified, holier. And that's what you're going to. But when he's speaking about himself, he keeps like. It's also a different tense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's interesting as well. Yeah. It, it, he does have a very unconventional way of speaking of himself. And I find that particular observation pretty attractive. Yeah. Like just, it's just, it so surprises me. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. You would think again, like, oh, this Titan just walked in the room. You think very highly of them. Oh, yeah. They think very lowly oh, no. of themselves. Uh-huh. And Christ associates with the lowly, you know? Yeah. So, that tracks. Yeah. So all that, all these digressions, all this fun, nerdy talk is to say, in short, let's let God tell us who he is and let's let the people in scripture, let them speak for themselves and <laughs> yeah. let's be as proportionate as they are and as God is when they speak. Mm-hmm. So not impose our own quote unquote balanced pictures on it. So yeah. Hope that uh, proves helpful or enlightening to you in your own reading of scripture. And uh, if it did and you want to leave us an honest five-star review, that would be proportionate. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And really stretching things there. (laughs) And if you have any questions on this or any other topic, you can email us at podcast at horizonschurch.net or you can interact with us on social media. Thank you as always for listening and we'll catch you next time. (laughs) 